If you would uh, join me in, in prayer. Father, thank you, for, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you that we get to get together and worship you. And it's times like this, God, that we realize how we should not be taking this for granted. What an incredible thing it is to be together and to be able to sing praises to your name and to be able to declare your goodness and to encourage one another. God, I especially am mindful of those in our church family who are joining us virtually online right now. God, I pray that um, they would feel your presence and that they would be with us in spirit. That they would not feel as though they are watching something that is happening far away, but that they would feel a part of the family this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to pause from Mark because I thought it was good for us in the wake of all the things that have been going on to think, how do we, to kind of help us think together, how do we think about this um, in, in a biblical way? How do, we, how do we see this as the opportunity? It's, it's, and, and my goal here is really for us to think through um, that we would have eyes to see the opportunity that God is giving us in this moment. Um, because it is a, a, an incredible opportunity. And I think so much of the temptation in something like this is to fixate on whether or not this whole, I, this whole thing with the coronavirus is overblown or not. I think most people are processing it in those terms. Like, am I worried about this or am I not worried about this? And people who land in the camp of um, not worried about this think that, thinks that everybody else is making way too big of a deal of this and that it's paralyzing our country. And people, there are people who feel like we're not making a big enough deal about it and that feel like we're going to end up regretting that we didn't take bigger steps sooner. And so um, I, I'm aware of those different viewpoints and all the... Vi- myriad of ones in between. I'm also acutely aware that all of those viewpoints are represented here. And so we know as a church family that, that, that those are all the things that, that, that people are thinking. But what I want to say to you this morning, at least in this place, in this moment as a church family, is that whether you believe that it is way overblown or whether you believe that not enough is being done, I want to say that When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to our calling, it doesn't matter. That's the wrong question. It's not a question that we as a as leadership are asking at all. I mean, maybe in private conversations we are thinking about those kinds of things, but as it comes to leading the church family, that question doesn't matter. The question that we want to ask is, okay, God, this is the environment you've put us in. This is the situation that is at hand. How do we love you and love others well? How do we declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think as, we, as we've thought through this, and I think as, as you join us in that, you'll find that this, this is where we as Christians shine. These are the golden opportunities and moments for the church. It's frankly, what we were made for. And I think if we are able to follow Jesus well through this, 
we're going to find that he will do an incredible work in you and me individually, but then also in the community. It's not really new in the history of the world. In the third century, go back a little ways, 200s A.D., a great epidemic broke out. It was actually the second one in about a span of 100 years. And this one, though, was so serious that it brought the entire Roman Empire to its knees. It almost destroyed the Roman Empire at that point. At its peak, an estimated 5,000 people were dying every day. It got so bad in the cities that people, when their, when their relatives were sick, they would take them out into the streets and just leave them for fear of contracting the illness. And at the same time, as people laid sick and dying, they would be abandoned not only in the streets, but also people would flee the city, which often caused more of a spread as people ran in fear and panic. When people did die, they wouldn't even bury them properly. They would just leave them. But what stuck out in this, so much so that it's been recorded for centuries and centuries and centuries, was the response of the Christians. It was quite the opposite. Rather than fleeing, the Christians stayed. Rather than abandoning loved ones in the street, they actually collected those from the street, even people that were strangers, and cared for them. They cared for them, they comforted, and they loved those infected. They quite literally ended up taking the illness of others on themselves, and many of them ended up dying. And Dionysus, an early church father, wrote this. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendations so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong attic, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. That is how the early church responded. And it's credited with being the reason why the gospel spread so quickly, as they were marked by their extreme, radical love of their neighbors. And not just love, but loving them with joy. He has that line that they departed this life serenely happy. Now, I'm not comparing this to that. I'm not saying that this is good. I'm not trying to sound the alarm of that. I'm saying that if God does that, even in the midst of so great, so great of an epidemic, then surely he can do something here. 
Surely this is not just a time for a few weeks or a couple of months or whatever they end up doing of people asking these questions and trying to avoid getting together and being concerned about people around them. Like surely it's not just a hunker down and wait for all this to pass, but surely this is a time where we as Christians can step into this and let the light of the gospel shine even brighter. I mean, imagine during this time the confusion for the people who were abandoned by their family being picked up and carried by a person they didn't even know. Imagine a person who is ill slipping in and out of consciousness and seeing a person that they don't recognize putting a cold cloth to their forehead or praying over them. Knowing that that person very well could die, that you could be the cause of that. Imagine seeing that and wondering, why? Why would you do this? The answer was simple. The answer of why they would do this was Jesus. They're following the example of their Lord. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. As we've gone through Mark, you may remember that was a long time ago, that message about Jesus actually reaching out and touching the leper and how he could have healed this leper from a distance. He could have just spoken healing over him. He didn't have to touch him, but he did. And he did because Jesus, his healing was not just a party trick and it wasn't just to show his power, but in it he was showing his compassion and his love. And so he touches the unclean man, making himself unclean so that he could make him clean. And we saw that later in in Mark 5, there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And if you remember the story, she touches him and and she is made well and she walks away. She slips away thinking she can go away unnoticed and Jesus stops the whole crowd. And he says, who touched me? If you remember, there's a whole crowd piling around him. And so obviously lots of people were touching him, but he said, no, who touched me? And the disciples thought it was a ridiculous question, but this woman knew that he was talking about her. And so she stepped forward and she said, it was me. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, far from being concerned about his own cleanness, far from being concerned about the the seriousness of it, I mean, imagine, for one thing, Jesus knew that leprosy and, and this bleeding from this woman were all temporary things. And so for them, it was the center of their whole universe. And so we start to see how it doesn't matter whether we think it's overblown or not. What it matters is is the opportunity to love your neighbor. And so for these people, Jesus looks at that and he says, "I I can heal you. And I can bring an even greater healing to you. 
And so he's not concerned about his own cleanness. He, he takes it on the uncleanness of others, serving those that the world had abandoned, taking on the illness of others in, in physical form and foreshadowing what he would do in the spirit. That's who our Jesus is. All the way to the cross. He constantly, through the Gospels, is taking on the lowest jobs, even washing the disciples' feet. In John 13, we see that he, he washes the disciples' feet, which was considered the lowest and most disgusting of all jobs. And when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so these people, and there's many examples of this, but in this great epidemic in the third century, all they were doing was saying, we are following Jesus. This is what our Jesus did for us. This is what we then do for others. They cared for the outcast, and they even took on death. And if you ask them, if you could go back in time or in heaven when you can ask them, like, what were they thinking? My guess is that they probably didn't spend a whole lot of time considering all of this. They just followed Jesus right into the chaos. They followed Jesus right into the mess. And if we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, I think we will find him leading us right where he needs us to be and loving people the way he has called us to love them. One of the interesting things about this was um, something else that Dionysus said in this letter. He says, acknowledging the huge death rate, Dionysus noted that though this terrified the pagans, Christians greeted the epidemic as merely schooling and testing. Thus, at a time when all their faiths were called to question, Christianity offered explanation and comfort. Even more important, Christian doctrine provided a prescription for action. That is, the Christian way appeared to work. And so I want to just look at that and say, okay, so one of the ways, one of the reasons why the gospel shines so brightly here is because of its truth. Because Christianity, you know, if you've been here very long, you know that we talk about how the gospel is true in all circumstances, in, all, in the midst of all suffering. If, if the gospel isn't true for the person who is dying of starvation somewhere in Africa, if, it, if the gospel isn't true for them, then it's not true for anyone. And so if our gospel is, like, if you love God and if you follow Jesus, then your life here will work out perfectly. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. All your relationships will work. Your businesses will succeed. If that's our message, then it doesn't hold up across the world, and therefore it's not true. But that isn't the message of the gospel. And what they found in the third century was as they were preaching the gospel in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this suffering and all of this death, that people heard it and they said, that makes sense. That's true. And it was seen as a message of explanation and comfort. So how is that possible? Well, one of the things I want to do here is just 
Go through that. Think through this in, in light of the gospel. We talk about this all the time of gospel fluency and how every situation can be seen through the lens of the gospel. And then this is a great opportunity for us to model that. And so when we talk about the gospel, we have five key words that we use. Anybody want to throw them out there? Creation. Rebellion. Redemption. Renewal. Glory. I love that it's our teenagers in classic teenage enthusiasm. Rebellion. Rebellion was a little stronger for them. Rebellion! Redemption, renewal, glory. Got it. So creation, rebellion, redemption, renewal, glory. That's how we tell the gospel story. And no other philosophy or religion in the third century or today was able to give this kind of explanation and comfort. Think about it. As they were looking at it, they could have been asking and would be asking, why does it feel so wrong to see people suffering like this? Why does it feel so wrong? Well, because that's, it is wrong. Because it's not the way the world was made to be. It's not what creation was. God created it without that kind of sin and without that kind of pain and without that kind of suffering. It's not normal. Creation wasn't created with illness and decay. And that makes sense for people. They look around in world suffering like, forget about coronavirus, but any kind of suffering, the biggest question that people always ask is, well, why? Like, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem normal. And the gospel is the one thing that can come in there and say, you're right. It's not right. It's broken. And we can sit with people in their pain and in their confusion and say, you're right to feel that this is broken because it is. Well, then the question comes, well, then why is it broken? Why is it like this? It's because of our rebellion. Our rejection of God and our insistence that we are God's. And the brokenness that exists is actually God's kindness. Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, the brokenness in the world is because we're saying, God, we'll do it our own way. And we spit in God's face and say, we are God's. It doesn't matter how, how um, moral we think we are. We all at our own root have that inside of us, the depravity of man. And that causes all kinds of fracturing and, and brokenness. And so God, in his kindness, allows us to feel the weight of that. Because it, think about it, if this didn't exist, if God said, ah, you're right, you, you shouldn't reject me at all, that's going to lead to your eternal destruction, then you'll never be able to be with me, you'll never be able to have eternal life and eternal joy, you'll never have any of that, but man, I hate to see you struggle, so I'm just going to let you not feel any of the weight of this, no, none of the consequences, none of my wrath against sin, none of it, I'm just going to protect you from all of that. Well, if you follow that train of thought through, then what would happen is that we would go very comfortably, very happy, very ignorantly on the path to destruction. Completely unaware and ignorant to the fact that we are in desperate need of a Savior. But God in his kindness says, I will let you feel the weight and the wrath and the effects of the sin. And in the midst of it, he gives us a million kindnesses, relieving, it, uh, relieving that, and gives us the, the kindness of relationships. And brethren, it's common grace. It doesn't matter if people believe in Jesus or not. They receive common grace and reprieve from all of these things. 
But it's only in the gospel that we see the reason for all of this brokenness. And yet people so often get mad at God for the very thing that he is using to show them their need for him and what he's offering them. Be like getting mad at your foot for, getting, for feeling pain when you step on a rusty nail. Like, if your foot didn't communicate that pain, then you'd die of tetanus. And that's not better. It's better to feel that pain. And if God did not let us feel the effects of our self-worship, then we would die in our sin. And so sin has fractured everything. It has brought judgment and separation from God. And so we say, well, then what's the answer? What hope is there? Redemption. God sent his son to take on our sin and to pay the price for our rebellion so that we could be restored. He is the answer for our own brokenness and that of all creation. He did what we could not do. He took on all of our uncleanness and he made it his own so that we would be made clean for all eternity. So all illness and all brokenness and all sin that we see all around in the world, whenever there's suffering, we can point to that and say, that, that is what life looks like apart from God. That is what we, that's what we get when we pursue our own desires. That's what, that's what happens. Because we are not fully good. We are not fully wise. We are not trusting the one who made us. But he has provided a way back. That on Jesus, all the weight of sin for all time fell on the cross. And because of that, we are able to take on his righteousness. We are redeemed. And not only redeemed, but we are renewed. And he, as he is renewing us, as we are being shaped into his image from one degree of glory to another, he invites us to participate in the renewal of all things. And so we as Christians, we, we work for justice in the world because the kingdom is just. We work for, for, um, to, to bring relief of suffering to our neighbors so that we can point to the God who gives us eternal relief from our suffering. We care for the sick because God cared for us when we were sick. We get to participate in that renewal and in the declaring of that gospel. We walk alongside Jesus as he renews us through sanctification and we participate in the renewal of the world. And we do so telling the story that one day all of this will be made fully right again. That is the hope of glory that we look forward to the day where there will be no more illness, that these things are temporary. Though they bring real suffering in the moment, they are temporary. And that is another mark of God's kindness, that this is not what we are left in for all eternity. That there will be a day where there will be no more illness and the depth of our joy in those moments will be deepened by knowing those illnesses here. So knowing all of that, listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Are you hearing the echoes of this? We know why it is the way that it is. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's no other message like that. There's no other message that allows people to go into the midst of suffering and say, I am with you. I will care for you. I will weep with you. I will grieve with you. And I will also share with you a peace and a hope and a joy that I have that is only found in the one who will eventually, one day, will make all of this right. There is no other message. There are messages that will say, this life doesn't matter. So detach yourself from your physical health. Don't feel any grief over the suffering of yourself and of others. Just detach yourself. There are philosophies out there that will say, well, as long as you take care of yourself and do what's best for you, then you'll be fine. But there's nothing that says go into the midst of it and trust the one who loved you when you were his enemy who loved you and healed you when you were sick. And do so with the peace and the joy that comes with knowing that there is a much bigger picture. This is why the early church saw it merely as schooling and testing. They were fearless because they knew that the suffering of this day was temporary. They knew that Jesus was returning. They knew what God had already done in them. The love of Christ compelled them to respond. It was schooling and testing. In sharing in the sufferings of others, they learned about the love of Christ even more deeply. Their faith deepened. This is incredibly common in areas of persecution and hardship. Those who follow Jesus into it have their faith strengthened. Anybody here who has gone through a hard season and has followed Jesus through that knows what they're talking about. That in the midst of those hardest times are the ones where you realize most obviously that Jesus is enough. And it fills you with like a sense of invincibility, like sometimes even through tears as you're grieving over something that's so brokenhearted. And at the same time, you just have this rock solid peace that carries you through because you feel more and more real terms than you maybe ever have in your entire life that Jesus is real and he is with you. I am telling you, that is the only thing that could make a third century common peasant sit with someone who's dying knowing that they could die themselves. That's it. No amount of faith in humanity could do that. It is only our faith in Jesus. And so they called this schooling and testing because they realized that they knew Jesus more deeply. They understood more deeply 
the cross. Jeff had pointed out to me this week that in persecuted countries, Christians call prison seminary. How's that? So they get sentenced to prison and they say, I'm going to seminary. If you don't know seminaries, grad school for pastors. And so while my buddies are sitting in a classroom hearing lectures and taking notes and thinking about what this might look hypothetically, my brothers and sisters overseas are suffering in prisons and saying, I'm learning how to follow Jesus and how to lead others. Schooling and testing. So that's one of the big things I think as we face this is knowing that God is God is sovereign. And so we trust him and we know that he is going to take us through a time of schooling and testing. This is why we count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So many people say, I want to grow in my faith. I want to feel closer to Jesus. We'll follow him through this. No matter what your inclinations are, whether you think it's overblown or you think it's not and you're worried about it, whatever it is, give it all over to God and say, okay, I'm going to love people well through this. And then, but because it doesn't just impact us. You will grow in this, but it will impact those around you. It's building this platform. How many times, it's interesting, this theme has been coming up a lot lately. We've been talking about how God builds platforms higher and higher. And I've had several people um, contact me after those sermons and say, this has completely changed the way I'm thinking about this because now I'm realizing that what I was complaining about, what I was worried about, what I was upset about is actually God building a platform that is higher and higher for me to declare the gospel to others. And this is one of those. The way Christians respond to people around them who are suffering is one of the reasons of the massive spread of the gospel in the early church. It wasn't just their own martyrdom. That definitely did spread the gospel. But it was their response to others who were suffering. And so that's why I say that even if you think this is overblown and you're not worried about it at all, your neighbor may be racked with anxiety and fear. How do you respond to them? If you respond to them flippantly or with a hand wave and tell them, ah, there's nothing to worry about, is that loving them? Or do you sit with them and say, well, I'll pray with you and have compassion on them I love, again, what he said, that Christianity not only offered explanation and comfort, but even more important, Christian doctrine provided a prescription for action. That is, the Christian way appeared to work. So it's not just your ability to explain what's going on big picture, but do you live your life in a way that shows you believe the things you say you believe? People will watch. They will watch your response to the world around you right now to see the value of what you believe. Philosophies don't hold up in these times. You can have a philosophy of caring for one another. You can post whatever you want on Facebook about, hey, just neighbors helping neighbors. Like, we just need to do kind things for one another. 
But when you go to the grocery store or Walmart and you try to hoard all the supplies so that you make sure you're taken care of while other people go without, you show what you actually value. I heard a story of a Walmart worker who had to buy their own hand sanitizer, working the checkout lines, bought their own hand sanitizer to protect herself and her customers. And when she turned her back, a customer stole it. It was caught on camera, just taking it, putting it in their bags, and running off. Like, it really doesn't matter what that person says on a normal day. It really doesn't matter how they talk about God being present in the country and about how that's the problem and that's why we have all these problems happening. It doesn't really matter what, they, what, what their viewpoint is on anything. In that moment, they demonstrated their real view that I look out for me. I'm most concerned about me. Imagine the opposite happening. Imagine buying hand sanitizer and going through the checkout line and then giving it to the person working as a cashier and said, I just, I just want to make sure that, you're, that you feel safe and that you can care for other people well. It's completely different message. And the coming weeks are going to be full of lots of practical ways that we can do this. The big thing I want to encourage you, as I just get really practical here, is attention. We've been reading a book lately and um, as a staff, and one of the lines that came out was, attention leads to awareness. So follow Jesus and pay attention. Just have your eyes open. Consider Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to love people? Just give me opportunities and just look around you. And so what that means is sometimes in really practical things. We're trying to do that as a church. So as a church, um, if you need anything and you're in this church family, if you need anything, please let us know. If you are short on food or supplies, if you can't get to certain places or whatever you need, just let us know and we will do everything that we can. I'm confident that this church family will rally for each other. But the more serious this becomes, and I do believe it's going to become more serious. How serious? I don't know. I'm not an expert in this, but it certainly seems like the trend is going that way right now. The more serious this becomes, the more the world will turn inward, trying to protect themselves. But the gospel will turn us outward and think of others. So one really practical thing is right now, you can look around and see our worship area is not full this morning. We have a lot of brothers and sisters who are at home who are feeling isolated. And so one really practical thing is contact them. I'm especially concerned about our older population right now as the government tells them more and more to stay at home. I'm concerned about them being isolated. Now, some of them, I get it, we're in northeast Wisconsin. For some of them, this is the greatest few weeks of their lives. <laughs> and that is totally fine. But not for all of them. It can get really lonely. So if you know, if you sit near somebody, if you know somebody who you see is not here, reach out to them. Give them a call. Like a real call. It's real voices. I mean, text is good too to reach out, but, but, but let's be sure that we're doing that. 
And we, we said that we're going to take a pause from some of our centralized things, but don't stop getting together as you feel comfortable with that. Get together still. It's important. Figure out ways to connect with one another. It means to go through your day with some gentleness and kindness. Be prepared for these small things. Be, be kind to those working as cashiers in the long lines. Imagine all of the grumpiness that's going to come through them. Like you could just be that little light that just says, smiles and asks them how their day is, tells them that you're praying for them, that doesn't hold up the line, like just keeps it going, but just make sure that you let them know that you care and that you appreciate what they're doing. The front desk worker at the hospital or the doctor's office. When I was just brainstorming these things, I thought of the poor Walmart curbside pickup delivery guy and gals. As people are going to do that more and more, and they're going to pull up, and they're going to be waiting longer and longer, and people are doing their best to run things in and out. Just kindness, gentleness. Consider hourly workers who are affected by this. Those who live off of, make their living off of tips, consider giving larger tips. If you can, give a larger tip in those situations, knowing that their business is suffering. If small business owners figure out how to support them through this. Think about your neighbors. God has placed you where he's placed you for a purpose. Think of the vulnerable populations around you. I mentioned it before. It's worth mentioning again. Think of the older people around you. They're very likely isolated, anxious, possibly without supplies and no idea how they will get them. You have elderly people who have all these underlying health conditions and it could literally be dangerous for them in the coming weeks to even go to Walmart and pick up some bread. So I encourage you, if you have neighbors around you that are in that situation, reach out to them. The worst they can do is say, I'm good, don't treat me like a child. All right, fine. That's fine. But do that. Because you may be giving, offering a lifeline to somebody, especially in our church family but to all people. Be mindful of people around you with mental illness, your battle issues of anxiety and depression. It's so tempting for those of us who are in the camp of, this is going to be fine, it's not that big of a deal, to not be sympathetic and compassionate towards people who, for whom that is a big deal. You can bring comfort and understanding Think of single parents around you who might need help with childcare if they're still able to work because school is out. School is closed. This is actually going to be one of the big things that we're going to have to try to figure out is childcare is going to be a big issue. It's going to be a big issue that we're going to need a lot of motivation for because we have healthcare workers who need to find a place for their child to go. But if they start getting in a place where they close daycare centers, we're going to be... We're going to be struggling in that. And the very first line of defense in that is you reaching out to people you know. That you could say, hey, if you need child care, I can, I can watch your kids. There's so many more things. Obviously, we need to be praying as a church family for healthcare workers, emergency responders, hourly workers, all these people, the vulnerable populations we pray 
that we have opportunities to relieve felt needs and, and, and immediate suffering, but also that the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine brightly in the darkness. And if you filled out a card and I'm in card, know that this part of how we're going to use that. Jeff Clossy is working hard and, and with Jeff Bauer to um, create a system and to figure out how do we get these needs out there and let you know what there is. And we know that not everybody will be able to meet every need, but if we all jump in and serve where we can, we can have a huge impact. Just imagine what God would do in you and in this community if when we come through this, whatever happens, but when we come through on the other side, that the people in this area would say, you know what I noticed? Everywhere I turned, there were Christians. Watching kids, helping clean, supporting the government, which by the way, that's one of our big motivations. We're not closing things down because we're you know, because we're making a judgment on how serious we think this is. We're just trying to be good citizens and support our government and let them know that, hey, we're willing to do what we need to do to love our neighbor. And it matters. We have an incredible opportunity. This is what we were made for. So join with me in praying that God does amazing things through this time. Father, we obviously, we are not infectious disease experts, so God, I pray you would grant us humility to listen to, to those who are giving instructions, but God, in the midst of that, we know that we are going to be able to serve you in amazing ways that you are not surprised by any of this, that you actually have created this environment as a way of declaring and demonstrating your glory. And you've chosen to do that through your people. So God, I pray we would be found ready. I pray that you would fill us with a desire to go and to be light and salt. God, I pray that you would help us to love our family well and love our community well. God, I pray for those who are most vulnerable in our church family, those who are older, those who have underlying health conditions, not, not just for their health. God, I do pray for their health. I pray that you would protect them. But God, I also pray that we would love them well so that issues of anxiety and worry and loneliness would not compound anything, but that they would feel really loved during this time. specifically pray for my dear brothers and sisters who right now want to be here with us but can't. God, I pray that they would know that they are very much on our minds and we love them. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom in the coming weeks and that the emotions that would most mark us and characterize us is one of excitement to see what you're going to do. God, we trust you. We love you. We are yours. 
use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.